Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Not Your Average Music Therapist. And today I have a music therapist with me, another music therapist. I'm so excited to um, dive into her story and hear what she's lived through as a music therapist and, and how things have been for her. So I have on the show Tara O'Brien. So Tara, welcome. And you. would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I became a music therapist in 2017. So it's been about four years. Um, I graduated from Fredonia and shortly moved to Rochester, same city as Kim. Um, Yay! Yeah, <laughs> I moved to Rochester for my internship and was fortunate to get hired by the same place after the internship. So I've been there for five years now and I work in a special education school. Mm, cool. Yeah. yeah, I was I was thinking earlier today, how how did we meet? How did we connect? Um, and I know one thing was just being a music therapist in the area. Um, and then the other thing was low waste living. Yeah. I yeah. Just, I don't think we actually, yeah. I know I met you, I think through like, like a peer supervision thing briefly, but we didn't really oh, connect yeah. until it was like looking at that sustainability, mm -hmm. low waste living lifestyle stuff. So, yeah. yeah. It's so cool how our lives and stories just cross over and intertwine. Yeah, and definitely. Like music therapy didn't necessarily bring us together and bring us talking, right? But right. That um, more environmentalism kind of um, brought us together and started these conversations and connected us online. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's been really cool. Yeah, I think that was around the time that I was thinking about switching to looking into doing a job like that too. So it's kind oh, of funny really? that that's how it crossed over in that time. Yeah. Uh, I had considered it for a bit, yeah. Yeah, so you were thinking of, of kind of switching gear, gears and not necessarily doing music therapy anymore. Yeah, I, I think I just, it was the first time maybe in my life that I had just gotten really, really excited about and interested in something that mm. wasn't music specific. You know, it had yeah. nothing to do with music and it made me start to think like, does that mean this is a passion I should chase? Does that mean now I should drop right. everything else and just run this way? <laughs> and it was a big like, all right, we got to sit with this for a moment. You know, this again is the mm -hmm. just the first time that it wasn't something about music and that was weird to tackle. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting how um, we get so focused and so like um, narrow with with our career path and we're just like, okay, music therapy and that's all we're going to do and it's going to be amazing. And then as we step into these jobs and these places and then we kind of grow up too a little bit. It's like we go right. through some different developmental stages. Um, things open up and it's like, oh, there's more to life. There can be more to my career than just something having to do with music. Right. Right. Yeah. And even, you know, I know when I was in college talking so much about like self care and how you should continue to have your own relationship with music outside of music therapy. You mm -hmm. need to keep making mm -hmm. music for yourself 
And at that time, I wasn't doing really anything like that um, outside of work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I realized that I was putting, like, hobby-like energy into the sustainability, low-waste living, you know, learning about Mm -hmm. that and, you know, finding new places to shop and that sort of thing, it was kind of like, does that mean I don't like music anymore? Is that... Is that how I'm supposed to read this time in my life? Like, should I just yeah. run? So that was a, yeah. that was strange. I feel like I do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, Me too. It's like, oh, I love this thing. Should I make a business out of it? <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's hard. You know, I think we, I don't want to say our generation, but I think just like the time that we're currently living in, is so like, okay, find something you're passionate about and turn it into a career, you know, to find Mm -hmm. a way to make money with it, you know, use your hobbies for good and your life and whatever else. And so, you know, the moment we just find something we enjoy, that's the first thing you think, like, how can I get a job with this? How can I profit from this? this? And that's when it Mm -hmm. becomes less fun, I think, sometimes. Yeah, it's like, can we just let, a passion be a passion. Right. Exactly. Or a hobby be a hobby. Um, yeah. Do we need to chase money with it? Mm-hmm. Um, or influence even? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I immediately did mm-hmm. the thing where I created an Instagram account and I wanted to oh, cool. talk to like different Rochester businesses about how they were working through low waste living and try to get all these mm-hmm. followers. And after a bit, you know, I, I think it's it's still there, but I don't post very often mm-hmm. on it because I'm just kind of like, this is exhausting. I don't think I want to keep this up. You know, it just, it made it feel more like a job, you know? Right. Exactly. I was going to say it's so funny because we get so excited about things and then thinking about them uh, making us money, it's like, oh, it's so fun. So I can do this really easily. But then when we try it, it's like oh, there's so much work involved in this. Yes, like, exactly. beyond what I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what happened to me when I got into calligraphy. Mm-hmm. And I still do calligraphy. Like, I just had a friend commission me to do a sign for her. Um, but I actually spent, like, I, I don't think it was a full year away from music therapy, but maybe a good six months just doing calligraphy and not doing any music therapy work. And, um, like there's part of that, that's really cool to just throw yourself into something and try it out and see if it fits better than maybe something else. Um, but I quickly realized how much work it was, how much I didn't know about, um, being an artist and making money, making a living at that and all the different pieces. And like, I couldn't just make a piece of calligraphy it's like I had to then um price it and package it and ship it and Mm -hmm. take photography around it and sell it and it was like this whole big monster of a job that you know I'm just like I just like writing pretty (laughs) my gosh even taking the pictures you know every time I would like Go fill up oh, yeah. a, my bulk, you know, my mason jars with bulk food items at the co-op. I'd come home and I was like, okay, I have to make a post. And I'd try to s- yeah. set them all up pretty. And it was just so 
It was just exhausting after right. a while. I think it's really cool, though, to try out these things. Like, take the next step from hobby or passion into, okay, could I do this full-time or could I do this to make money to then see if you can or if you want to. Yeah. And what I quickly realized was I miss music and I miss relating with people around music. Mm -hmm. And that's what brought me back to the music therapy field. Yeah. And I think, too, part of it is, like, I am... you know, immediately after college, you spend college learning about music therapy and taking music classes and taking psychology classes. And you just know there's this magical um, career waiting for you. And then it becomes mm-hmm. your full-time job. And you realize, like, okay, now what? What's next? <laughs> what should I do now? You know, I finally got to this exciting thing. So I'm wondering then... Um how was that transition for you from school to internship to your first job? And your first job was at the same place as your internship. So even going from intern to professional, like, how was that for you? Um, I will say when it first happened, well, school to internship was just so exciting. Um, you know, I was yeah. moving somewhere new and I was so excited to be moving to an area where a lot of my college friends either lived or lived pretty close to. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, and I just, again, it was that feeling of, wow, I'm finally doing it. Now it's not, you know, I'll still be learning, but now it's just going to be music therapy. Like, we're here. This is it. Mm-hmm. And it was so, it, re- it truly was just so exciting, you know, moving from college to internship. Moving from internship into working especially being at the exact same place was really interesting because it felt mm. like, especially for the first two months or so, it felt like you did it. You, you got the dream job. You, you know, you, I never thought that I would be able to go right into a full-time job and it was so yeah. exciting. I could afford to continue living somewhere else and not wow. have to move back with yeah. my parents. Um, and I just kept thinking like, you did it. This is the dream. And then two months in, I really think it only took about two months for it to start to feel a little monotonous. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, it was that feeling of like, wow, you achieved this. You did it. You got the dream job. Mm -hmm. Now what? (laughs) Yeah. Really quickly shifted to that. Yeah. Like this is it. And you know, you obviously, you know, you learn as you're working for sure. You keep learning, but I felt like my journey of like just, being being pushed to learn more had stopped and I wasn't mm-hmm. feeling motivated myself to you know expand my repertoire or you know read the journals of music therapy and that kind of thing um you know I just mm-hmm. just felt like this is as good as I'm ever going to be as a music therapist and yeah that was really tough to grapple with that's a scary feeling yeah Cause it's like, wait, did I do it? (laughs) I got to the top already. Is this it? Yeah. (laughs) Is there, yeah. Is there anything else? And I think I, you know, I had, I had fully anticipated that I would have to start from a part-time job or maybe even a job outside of music therapy for a little bit before I could work towards 
the dream job that mm-hmm. I got really quickly, which again was of course exciting, but also kind of scary in that way. It's like, all right, I've mm-hmm. hit my, I've hit my top. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I actually was diagnosed just recently, actually not, not long ago and not, not diagnosed at this point with ADHD. And, um, I've learned a lot mm-hmm. about how people with ADHD tend to hyper-focus on things and it's easy for everything else to fall to the peripheral. And then at that time in my life, I was super hyper-focused hyper on music therapy. I didn't feel like I needed self-care or hobbies because my job was it. You know, I had the coolest right. job in the world. And then as soon as it became a real job, I started to feel like, oh my gosh, is this all my life has to offer? Like, what comes wow. next? What do I do now? So, you know, once that hyper-focus yeah. started to slow down, I had to kind of, you know, just kind of sit in that discomfort and realize, you know, I needed to, I, you know, I wanted, not that I wanted to quit, but I wanted mm-hmm. to be defined for more than just my career, which I know you've talked about recently. So that yeah, was a big, you wanted um, more. Yeah. Yeah. You got to that place of like, oh, okay. So I've experienced the magical moments. I have gotten the dream job. Mm-hmm. I have, you probably have great, um, uh, um, coworkers and clients and, and all of that. And then it's like, okay, so what else is there? Yeah. Now that I'm realizing that music therapy isn't, isn't like the be all end all. Yeah, exactly. And at that point, um, had you been diagnosed with ADHD or did that come later? At that point I was not diagnosed. I had suspected it for a little Mm. while you know I don't think um not to get too soapboxy about it but I think a lot of times with ADHD it's it goes misdiagnosed especially with girls so often because I was Mm. not I mean I was hyper but not um not super hyperactive that it was like disruptive yeah and you know growing up which happens a lot with girls but I was I just struggled so much to focus um and you know, just really sit down and get assignments done. Um, you know, I was always the kid who was talking to friends a lot in class, but I think for a long time, it was just kind of like, oh, she's the social butterfly. You know, you don't, Mm -hmm. it it wasn't seen as like a, um, you know, a disability at that point. So, you know, it wasn't until I started working through adulthood and I, you know, I started grad school part-time, I think, two, three years ago now. And, Mm. you know, having to try to balance working full time and school and now doing the type of schooling that I can't just kind of skirt by as far Mm. as grades go, you know, I actually do have to work a little bit at it and really think about (laughs) it because I spent most of my school career just kind of like, Oh, I'll study a little bit later. Um, and realizing now that I, I really do need to, um, be able to manage my time and that sort of thing. I, mm. I finally was like, okay, maybe, maybe there's something going on here. Maybe we should look to get help. Mm-hmm. So I actually wasn't diagnosed until last year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So that must've changed a lot. Like, how was it getting the diagnosis? Like, what did it feel like? It was, I, I'll never forget the day because I remember sitting there you know, my psychiatrist told me, yes, you do meet the criteria. And, you know, we talked about medication and that's what I was hoping for. 
You know, I was like, if I don't have it, it would be, I remember thinking if I didn't have it, I would feel lost on how to go from there because I was having so much trouble that it was like, this. if this is not explained by ADHD, what could I possibly what do to fix this? I'm having so much trouble. Um, so yeah. when she said, yes, you have it, here are some medications we're going to try, it was a momentary relief. And then I remember just feeling really bad for little Tara who, you know, just thinking about like, you know, parent teacher conferences and teachers who would say, you know, Tara's so sweet and so smart, but she just doesn't work very hard. She talks a lot, you know, that kind of, and thinking about like how I used to get like homework, not done stamps in my agenda as a kid. Oh, wow. And, um, but still feeling like I was pretty smart you know, mm-hmm. so it was, it was, you know, I just did a lot of like, not just self-reflection about me personally, but like really past reflection, thinking about yeah what could have been different if this was, mm-hmm. if this had been helped earlier, you know, not that I had a bad life, I'm happy with my life, but I looked at a lot of the things that I really struggled with that could have been, yeah could have gone differently. Yeah. Like your whole history. Yeah. Um... So what was it like right before you were diagnosed? Like what, what were those things that you were having trouble with that kind of took you to take that step? I was... If you don't mind sharing. <laughs> no, I don't mind at all. I don't mind at all. So I was, um, like I said, I'm, I work full-time and I'm part-time in grad school. I really only take one class per semester. So it's nothing too heavy. Um, and I was in a class that really prepares you to start writing the first part of your thesis. Mm. And um, so you're doing a lot of like literature reviews and that sort of thing and learning about how to read research and that kind of stuff. And I remember sitting in those three hour, three hour classes and being excited mm. and asking questions because I really learned through um, social interaction. So I have, if I'm not asking yeah. questions that I'm either not paying attention or I don't understand. <laughs> so I have to, I'm always the one asking 800 questions in class. And, Uh you know, I would sit there and I would make notes for what I was going to do my thesis on. And I felt really good about it. And then it came time. I shouldn't say it came time. I knew that our first big assignment was going to be writing um, the first draft for our literature reviews. And I, Mm. as excited as I was throughout class and as great as it was that our professor continued to remind us, you know, this is going to take a long time. You need at least 30 references, this, this, that. I had not started it at all. And wow, um, yeah. I had a weekend where I said, I'm not having any social plans this weekend. I'm not doing anything, but I'm going to sit down and write this. And we had, a, you know, we had a snow day at work that Friday. So I was like, great. I have even more time to write this. I'm not doing a thing until this is done. And I sat there all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, just staring at my computer. I wouldn't let myself do anything fun. Um, I wouldn't let myself call friends, but I still did not get even a little bit of that report done. And I just remember thinking like, I know people struggle to get assignments done, but this is different. You know, I've spent now Mm -hmm. 36 hours or more on this huge, no, it's a day and a half. What's three days? 72 hours. (laughs) 
Yeah. It's, you yeah. know, I spent just all day for three days straight doing nothing but sitting there in front. I had all my notes around me. I had my You were just totally paralyzed. Just completely paralyzed by it. And I just remember thinking, yeah. you know, if you, you know, as a music, as someone who's already a music therapist and in grad school for music therapy, I don't technically for my job need the master's degree. So I'm mm-hmm. at grad school because I want to learn more. And mm-hmm. I just remember sitting there thinking, you know, you don't need to be doing this. So what, if, if for some reason you're not motivated or you're not interested or whatever it may be, then why are you putting yourself through this? So I decided to mm-hmm. withdraw for the semester, just take, give, take, take a break from grad school. And I remember my professor being shocked because, you know, she said, you just, you've been such a pleasure. We've been talking so much in class, but it was, yeah. she didn't know that the first assignment was going to come back blank. So you know, I finally just decided I needed to take some time to think about this. And I started to think it might have been because I wanted to maybe look into a master's degree in something else just to kind of expand mm-hmm. on, um, you know, my skill set. But I realized after a bit that I was just trying to make excuses for the fact that I really struggled to get that assignment done, even though mm-hmm. I was excited to start writing my thesis. You know, it was, it was just like something's yeah. not something's not quite connecting here. So I finally looked oh. to get the diagnosis at that point. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's like everything is lining up except like one piece. Yeah. And you're like something's wrong because I'm excited. I like this. I want to mm-hmm. do this. But I'm just really struggling. Yeah. Yeah, wow. absolutely. And I mean, you know, working for a school, I have to write IEP reports all throughout the school Mm -hmm. year and they're all due at different times. And, you know, sometimes a report will be coming up for a student that I know has been doing so well with me and I know exactly what I'm going to write. And again, I sit down to start the report and it just, I -hmm. I blink and it's been 45 minutes and you know, the blink, the cursor is still blinking and I just don't, I'm like, where, what was I even doing with this time? So yeah. yeah, I just was like, you know what? It's I'm noticed. I'd noticed that it was impairing school. I noticed it was impairing work, mm-hmm. and I just was ready wow. to figure out what was what was going to help me. Get to me. the bottom of it, right? Yeah. And so, um, as far as I know, I don't know too much about ADHD, but the course of treatment is medication. Is that right? Yeah. So I actually learned after being diagnosed that you know typical CBT talk therapy is not. While it's helpful in, you know, coping with the personal things that might come with having a diagnosis, it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't actually help the symptoms of ADHD. Um, mm. So, you know, they recommend... So interesting. That's what makes it different. It's, yeah. it's so interesting. <laughs> I, I remember being like, wow, what are you talking about? How is that possible? Um, yeah. But the treatment recommendations are typically um, medication or behavior mm-hmm. modification. So rather mm-hmm. than going to a typical therapist, you know, some people will see a life coach to look at how they can schedule, you know, time management and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. that it's more like changing um, life, making lifestyle changes rather than, you know, just mm-hmm. processing emotions. That is so interesting. Um, wow. So, um, so you were diagnosed mm-hmm. and then it was like this moment of like, okay, things make sense now for 
why these things were very difficult. Um, So I'm assuming you started one of those courses of treatment. And so with that, have you felt like a little more, um, I don't know, like a handle over your life and over your work? Yeah, I, I can't say, so I started medication last year and I can't say that it was like an immediate, wow, now I can focus. Um, you know, it's, it's, I definitely Mm -hmm. don't feel like my entire life has changed, but it does on the days that I'm struggling more, it's nice to have, I don't want to say an excuse, but kind of an excuse to know, Mm -hmm. you know, this is why you're feeling this way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, knowing ways like, um, you know, if you think about working with children with ADHD, you know, a lot of times they'll recommend like heavy work or like movement will really help them prior to focusing. So sometimes, you know, if I'm sitting at my desk and I'm not getting things done, I can say to myself like, okay, clearly right now this isn't working. Let's go take a quick walk and come Mm -hmm. back in a minute and see if that helps, you know? Um, and it's not, again, it's not foolproof. It definitely doesn't always work, but, um, I just feel like I can, prepare now more for when it's going to be harder for me on the days that it's difficult, you know, especially through the pandemic Mm -hmm. and having to do a lot of self-motivating, you know, not having, Mm -hmm. not being, you know, during the lockdown when I wasn't physically at work, um, it was so, so hard for me to motivate myself to get things done. Yeah. And I'm grateful that at that time, you know, it was, I wasn't enrolled in grad school because it was, I couldn't imagine trying to balance that. Um, mm-hmm. But even with all of this free time, I just could not motivate myself to get reports or work done. And that was hard to deal with. But, make, you know, taking mm-hmm. the medication has definitely really helped. Made a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I feel like this conversation is really going to like it's going to get a lot of people thinking like I'm even thinking. And before this conversation, I've, there have been other people, um, like that I follow on Instagram and Mm -hmm. and whatever, who have been talking about ADHD in women and girls and how it presents differently and it goes unnoticed. Um, and yeah, I, I guess I would encourage anyone listening who, is thinking, you know, I relate to a lot of those things. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. talk with your doctor and and see if um, that's what's going on. And I might even do that myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go for it. I find it's 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 really funny to me because I follow a lot of um, local artists. Um, you know, even visually creative artists, and I'm not, that's definitely not me, but. Um, you know, I follow a lot of them on Instagram and and I read about their stories and, you know, they'll talk about their personality types, you know, Enneagram types and, um, Mm, the the mm Myers-Briggs things. And I always remember thinking like, oh, she's so cool. I'm the same personality type. And then they disclose that they also have ADHD and it just always makes so much sense. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it is also, you know, a lot of people with ADHD like to say it's also a superpower in a lot of ways because, People with ADHD are often so creative and in, you know, interesting different fields like music therapy. And, you know, they take their hobbies really seriously because they, you know, they do get into those cycles of hyper focus and then you want to show it to the world and you want to tell everyone about it. And um, they're so often, you know, a lot of the, I, you know, I, I 
dare a lot of you listening to go see your Instagram influencers <laughs> that you're interested in and see if they're yeah. no, maybe not asked directly, but see if they've posted about it <laughs> because <laughs> a lot of them do, you know, it's just, mm. they are mm-hmm. so passionate about what they do that they want to share it with everyone. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of ways, that's, that's so cool. And it's, it's nice to be able to look at it in that light and not always in the, oh my gosh, I can't get anything done kind of way. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, that, that's so cool. I, I really hope that, um, some listeners connect with you over this and say like, I have that too, or, you know, I've been experiencing these things and I just figured it out. Yeah, Um, definitely. And as a music therapist, it's been, it's so fun. I hate it's strange to say like mm-hmm. it's so fun to have ADHD and be a music therapist because <laughs> I you know I pride myself on the fact that I'm really flexible with the students that I work with in music therapy and you know mm-hmm. I work in a I work in a setting where you know their students are there because they have they've either have a history of or still present with some pretty intense behaviors um so you know I have to be really cautious and really flexible depending on where they are that day and um and I just feel like I'm so comfortable immediately modifying what we're doing in the moment, even if it just means playing with their dinosaur toys for a bit before switching over into yeah. something musical or, you know, or just being able to turn that into a song. Um, mm. I think it's, I think it helps me so much, especially because I work with mostly children who are neurodivergent as well. And I think being able mm. to connect with them on that in a different way is has really helped me in my relationships with my students. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so there's so much good that comes with it too. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's, I mean, it's, it's frustrating sometimes, but there's yeah. good that comes with it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know you've been saying like you're interested in so many different things and you have a lot of passions, you have a lot of things. So, um, what have you done? Like, what are all the different things that you've done in your uh, professional career? So, I mean, it's only been a few years now. Mm. You're still considered a new professional. But what's yes. that looked like for you? Um, man, so in addition to working at Bosies, I also teach early childhood music classes. Um, I teach mu- mm. music together classes. And that is like my one true love. I adore, I do, I adore oh, it so much. Cool. I say all the time that if I could, you know, m- make the same kind of living doing that as what as music therapist, I might just <laughs> jump ship and go right over to that if Switch I could. <laughs> um, but obviously, life at, life is what it is. So, but mm-hmm. I do that um, part time, and I think part of the reason I did that when I started my career, you know, I I applied for that job like I said, when I was thinking that I was probably going to have to start with a couple of different part-time jobs. But even when I was offered the full-time position, I decided I still wanted to do um, the music together classes because I just think I needed that, you know, change of location, just being able to Mm -hmm. work in more than one, even just like a physical space made a really big Mm -hmm. difference for me, you know, going from college where you're walking from building to building and you're in all these clubs and you know you're on executive boards and this and that to go to being at the same job every day five days straight yeah it was kind of like I don't know if my 
Now looking back on it, it makes a lot of sense knowing that I have ADHD and I just want a change yeah. every day. Um, yeah. I, I remember in that time being like, oh, I'm sitting at this desk again. And I felt like I was, you know, I felt like I had avoided the office job life, but it still mm-hmm. felt like that in some ways. So it helped to have even just a part-time mm-hmm. job. Um, and then I've just also picked up a lot of hobbies. Um, you know, I do swing dancing. I've, I'm really into, mm-hmm. like, like you said, the sustainability thing. I've, I'm, I've like almost look at it more now as a challenge for myself than as trying mm-hmm. to be environmentally friendly. Sometimes I think it's fun for me to try to figure out how I can make a recipe without having to buy any ingredients and in packaging. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. I have to make everything into a game <laughs> for it to work for me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I've just kind of, the other things that I've picked up in life, I think, have been more of just um, hobbies that have worked for me. Being in grad mm-hmm. school helps a lot. I did end up going starting up grad school again in the fall once I had my medication figured out. And, you know, even if I don't know if um, getting the master's in music therapy is going to change my career much later, it's nice to just mm-hmm. feel like I'm progressing forward. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I got a, I got a great job right out the gate and that's awesome but I just I felt like I needed to still feel like I was working towards something so yeah yeah. grad school really helps with that and you know I'm obviously able to relate a lot of what I'm learning to my current work so that really Mm -hmm. helps for sure yeah it seems like you took that moment early on of like okay you know I made it this is getting a little monotonous into kind of like a challenge like okay well how can I make it not monotonous or like what else in my life can change right? to give me those same feelings of excitement or motivation or, you know, like searching out those magical moments um, yeah. in other areas. And talking to, you know, the next generation of music therapists, music therapy students helps so much. You know, I, I know yeah. I'm not super far from that. I'm definitely still in the category of new, new therapist. Um, but last week I spoke to, um, Fredonia always does a music therapy awareness week and they, they'll usually have guest speakers come. And luckily because it was virtual this year, I was able to speak on a few of the panels and just being able to talk to music therapy students is so cool because they just, they just have this fire. Like I said earlier about, you know, they're just thinking about how there's this incredible career ahead of them and, you know, being mm-hmm. able to feed off of that energy is just great. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's so important as music therapists to find those other things to, uh, keep our energy going and keep it exciting and keep it fun. Like, like how it feels in school, um, because it can get monotonous and we can easily get bogged down by all the challenges or we might get burnt out or we're not prioritizing self-care. Um, so I think conversations like these are so important so that we remind each other like, oh, don't forget to play music for yourself or explore your other hobbies and passions. Yeah, I talked with them about um, like self-care in terms of being a music therapy student and also being a music therapist mm-hmm. and just talked to them a lot about how my relationship with music has changed a lot 
but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. You know, it's not that I don't feel the same. I'm obviously in the field because I have that passion for music, but it's okay if that changes Mm -hmm. as you go on. You know, you're spending all day long playing guitar and piano. It's okay if sometimes you don't want to come home and keep playing that. Right, right. Yeah. It's like, I want to fill my my hours outside of work with with, um, something different. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, So what are the other things? I know before we recorded, you mentioned um, some other things that you um, had been doing when you were a student and now that you're professional within the music therapy field. So you mentioned being on some different boards. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So as I was, when I was a student, um, I was, I was on the executive board for our music therapy club at Fredonia, but I was also on, I spent time on the executive board for the Mid-Atlantic region of the American Music Therapy Association for Students, and then also the American Music Therapy Association for Mm -hmm. Students. So, so Mara, Mara AMTA, and then AMTA, um, as a student. So I did a lot of that as a student, yeah. for sure. This is definitely when music therapy was my hyper-focus, now that I can look <laughs> back at it and see that way. You know, I just wanted to be involved in everything that I could. Yeah. Um, so, and then once I became a professional, I spent time on the um, the professional board for the Mid-Atlantic region. Mm. So, yeah, it's so interesting. I have not been on um, any boards. I was barely involved mm. in our music therapy club. <laughs> And, um, but I feel like sometimes there's, there's like this perception of, um, different music therapy organizations, um, like from the outside. So I'm wondering like, okay, so what really does it look like being on a board? Like, what are the things you do? Um, I will say it's extremely different as a student than as a professional, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, which I anticipated, but not to the extent that it, oh, wow. that it actually ended up being, um, you know, as a student, there's a lot more of the, um, behind, there's a lot more behind the scenes going on that I think, you know, the students are aware of, but you don't really think about just how much, you know, I think about it yeah. even in terms of like putting on a concert, you know, you can, obviously the musicians have to do a lot of work and their producers do a lot of work, but then there are also people working on lighting and sound and selling tickets and seating people. Um, you know, there's just, there's, and it's similar in that way, you know, as a student, we didn't have to worry about conference planning or, um, you know, more of the political things, you know, as students, we were just focusing on creating opportunities for the students. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was exciting and it was really fun. And um, when you get onto the board, every person on the board has a really specific role. Mm -hmm. And um, for the most part, that role stays about the same each year for those particular um, executive board members. But on the professional board, everyone still has that particular role, but there's a lot more that comes up that you may have to tack on in addition to mm-hmm. your role. And, um, you know, when I moved onto the professional board, it was so exciting. It's like, oh my gosh, I just finished my internship <laughs> and I'm already on the professional board. You know, I used to dream about being the president of AMTA yeah. someday. Maybe someday. And, um, <laughs> it, <laughs> maybe. 
but it immediately became really hard for me to balance, um, to balance that with my professional work Mm -hmm. and then grad school. And it just, I, you know, I just kind of felt like I was dropping the ball a bit there. You know, Mm -hmm. I was definitely still interested and wanted to help, but when it came to my particular role, it was again, similar to what, you know, how I talked about my grad school assignments where sometimes it it was just paralyzing and Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I could, I didn't feel like I was giving enough and I would sit there and feel down on myself, but still not get the work done. Mm. So after a while, it was kind of like, okay, well, this is a bigger responsibility and undertaking than you can currently handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as I want to support the fields, I'm not, I'm not serving the profession in this way if I can't currently fulfill the duties that I'm being asked to do. So mm-hmm. when it came time to... Um, to consider running again or just to move on. I just decided I wasn't going to run again. And um, it's something I would consider again for the future, for sure, because I did enjoy my time. I loved Mm -hmm. collaborating with other music therapists around. And a lot of the music therapists that I looked at as a student, as some of my heroes that I still look at as some of my heroes, I got to sit next to in professional meetings. And that was really exciting. But, you know, I definitely want to feel like I have the right mindset for it and have the time to devote to it Mm -hmm. if I were to try to do something like that again. So it's definitely, it's more work than I think a lot of people realize because they are all volunteer positions. You know, they're not paid positions and they're also not things, a lot of the roles are not things that you learned about Mm. when you learned about being a music therapist. Um, Mm. You know, like I was designing... Um, I was the public relations chair, so I was designing um, graphics for the the app that we use for conference. Oh, and wow. I didn't know the first yeah. thing about that. <laughs> you know, I just downloaded every free graphic yeah. um, program I could find and would just spend hours trying to match colors, and it was exhausting, and I had no idea what I was doing. It kind of gives you a greater (laughs) appreciation for other jobs, like graphic designers. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, so it really takes that much energy and focus and time to get just the right shade of color. Right. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, oh my gosh, just trying to match it. And then I would look at, I can still look at some of the conference logos that I that I created and still see a split in the colors because oh, no. I know I didn't match it perfectly and nobody else would realize unless yeah. you look at it really close but I <laughs> unless see it they were time. a master graphic designer <laughs> exactly someone was like who designed this thing <laughs> probably a music oh. therapist <laughs> that's so cool though that you so, had that opportunity yeah. to try out like different things um yeah, yeah. It was I you know, it was definitely surreal and I loved being I loved feeling like I had a voice and and I was part of the decision making process for yeah. um but for supporting the music therapists in this region. That was so cool, but I just didn't feel like I had the time to devote to it cuz it's a lot more work than you would think. Right, right. And it, it it's probably hard to um to like have a full-time music therapy job and then go home. And do more music therapy related things. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's like we need a break. <laughs> we need a break at some point. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was a lot of work, mm-hmm. and just um, you know, and it's and those were the differences between the student and the professional thing. Was you oh, know, as a yeah. student, um, I think when I was vice president for the student association, I I 
was involved in some, oh, when I was the vice president for the student association for AMTA, I was, I was the person in charge of our social media accounts. Oh, cool. So when there was a position for a public relations chair on the professional board, I was like, I know social media, that's fine. But it was website designing and it was, you know, graphics designing and yeah. our conference logo had to be designed. And, and then, you know, and like I said, you end up having to add on more work to that role than you were anticipating. Like, you know, whenever we, whenever there was a um, call to action for something specific, I needed to be the one to, you know, make sure that the word was spread about that really at any moment so um just kind of being aware of like the responsibility Mm -hmm. you're taking in that moment yeah but there are so many ways of serving without being on the executive board so it was definitely it's definitely fulfilling experience Mm -hmm. yeah it makes me think of talking earlier about turning a hobby into a job and how there's so much more um than we expect and that can be really fun and really yes. exciting and something that you want to mm-hmm. do. C- kind of like um, having my own business, having my, my own music therapy business. I really love working on my website and creating graphics for this or that and doing social media and reaching out to companies and whatnot. I love those other parts of it, but it, it mm-hmm. seriously is a full-time job. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's why I have my own business and I don't do anything else right now because yep. it takes up all of my time. <laughs> it's not like a little side thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And it can mm-hmm. be hard to, you know, feel like it's, you're doing it because it's what you love, but then again, yeah. it becomes work. So it seems like it you've really, really hard um, to, like Find a you're, balance. you're so self-aware sometimes. and you're able to see when you don't have balance in your life. Um, so, I, I mean, I just want to commend you for, you know, taking breaks when you need breaks and stepping off <laughs> Thank of, you. I try. Uh, different boards <laughs> when you're like, yeah, I, I need to step away from this kind of work. It's too much right now. Um, are there other ways that you've been able to create balance in your life or really just enjoy all the things that you're doing? <laughs> um, you know, I think I, well, first of all, thank you. Yeah. I do try very hard to be self-aware, but I definitely don't always, even it when I become aware of to admit when I'm it and too much, it doesn't necessarily mean that I immediately take steps right. to change that. <laughs> Like awareness is the first step and I don't always get to the next. (laughs) So I can't say it's always been perfect, but, um, you know, I think just realizing, um, that, well, first of all, I think just like not comparing your own journey and your own life to someone else's is really important. Um, you know, I, as someone with ADHD, who's also super extroverted and enjoys doing a bunch of different things and just feeling constantly busy, um, it doesn't necessarily mean mm-hmm. that me being really busy all the time means that I don't have balance. Um, you know, I don't, I know a lot of people who, you know, introverted people or just people who meditate or that sort of thing where they just feel like they need mm. a certain amount of time every day or every week or whatever it may be to themselves and to just kind of sit with themselves in process and however, in whatever way that they decide to do that. And I don't 
necessarily, I don't necessarily feel like I need as Mm -hmm. much of that or that I get the same amount out of doing that. Um, so, Mm. and I don't, and for a while I I used to think like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me? I have no interest in taking time to just be on my own. Um, but I think just realizing that it's, I'm not, I'm not the same Mm -hmm. as everyone else. And Mm -hmm. the same form of self-care or self-reflection is not going to work for every person. Yeah. Um, you know, like I get more out of being able to process that with a friend or Mm -hmm. going out and working out instead of sitting and meditating and that sort of thing. And, um, just realizing that, you know, one person's schedule or lifestyle is not, it's, it's, you know, it's not a one size fits all, and um, yeah, definitely not. And I know you yourself, love um, swing dancing. I think it's really, really, and important. so that that's something that seems to me like it's a really, really good break from music therapy, and yes. it's also very fun and very active. So it's like you still are getting balance in that way, but you're still moving and doing things. Yeah, absolutely. Right, and I still see it as me, again, just changing that relationship that I have with music. You know, it doesn't necessarily... Yeah. I, I almost never come home and want to just learn more music and sit down with a piano or a guitar, but yeah, I definitely learn more music from, you know, listening to jazz and going and dancing with my friends and, um, you know, and just getting my body moving is really important for me too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it, that yeah. that to me even if it's faster and upbeat and active, that feels meditative to me. It feels like a release and it's yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, what a, what a beautiful, that's okay. what a beautiful you know, relationship with period music that is. <laughs> because you're, you're getting it into your body. And I feel like mm-hmm. oftentimes as music therapists, like music is used so much as a tool, which, you know, it's, it's our medium of, of care. Um, right. But how often do we, like get it in our bodies, like dancing or like, you know, meditating with music or something like that. And so it's like, you're, you're like living Mm -hmm. with the music. Right. And I feel like that's got to make you a better music therapist. Yeah, absolutely. Enriching. (laughs) It is. It's, I do think it's made a bigger difference. I don't, I guess I can't, I wouldn't be able to define exactly the ways that it has, but just being able to say, oh, this is how music is, this is how music moves me. This is how music feels important to me, not just how I use it for my clients. You know, like, this is where I feel like I'm doing my musical self-care versus, you know, non-musical self-care. And yeah, it definitely, it's made such, it's just made such a bigger impact on my life in general. And thinking about how, you know, there are cultures that don't separate music from dance at all. And, um, and I love being able to see it that way now, like, you know, being able to move to music is part of music to me, at least, you know, I feel like that can inform your music therapy work so well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, we've talked a lot about all the different things you've been through and experienced, um, and feel, is there anything else that you wanted to mention in this conversation today? 
I feel like we've covered so much and yet there's still so much we could say. (laughs) Right. I know we could just keep talking or, you know, is there something that you would um, want to say to the music therapists out there? I guess just, um, you know, find what works for you. Find, um, find your relationship with music and find yourself without music is really important too. I think, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, Especially when you're navigating those, you know, switching, going from student to intern to professionalist and, and, you know, navigating Mm -hmm. the new professional world, you know, learn, recognizing when, um, when you need a break, recognizing when you need help, even if it's professional help, um, recognizing Mm -hmm. when you want to make music and when you don't, you know, and Mm -hmm. finding Mm -hmm. the ways in which, you know, music is still important to you because you went into this field because music is so important to you, but also recognizing that it doesn't have to be everything. You know, I mm-hmm. said it last week mm-hmm. when I was talking to the students about self-care to get, just to get back on this topic for a moment. Um, I it's tend so to, <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> I tend to now, you know, if I'm listening to new music while I'm doing dishes or documentation or whatever it is, and I'm listening to a song I've never heard that I really like, I'll say, oh my gosh, I really like this. And I'll pause it and restart it and Google the lyrics and I have to read along while I'm listening to it. Mm, and yeah. I find that I'm doing lyric analysis almost for myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, but it, that doesn't necessarily mean that I want to pick up my guitar and learn how to play it and see if I can sure. sing it. But mm-hmm. that's how my relationship with music has changed from learning about this field mm. and what works for me. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, just re- recognizing that it's okay if that shifts and changes, changes a little bit um, mm-hmm. when you start navigating those transitions in your career. Yeah, I think that's so important to come to music with that open hand and just let it be what it is and not try to make it about work all the time. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's so easy for me to be like, oh, I can use the song and like, oh, let me learn the song. Let me put this song on my iPad. Let me, and then I don't actually just sit and appreciate the song for what it is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I feel like doing some lyric analysis just on your own, like gives the song that appreciation and that time. um, Yeah. For what it is. And it's not necessarily that I do it because... I know what a lyric analysis is and I know that it can be helpful. So I say I have to do this for every song I listen to, but I, you know, I, like I know people who connect more. I have a lot of friends where we'll talk about this. We'll connect more with the music than the words. And you would think Mm -hmm. as a music therapist or as a professional musician that like I would connect more with the music, but it does hold a different meaning to me when I know what all the words are and know what they mean. And then I'll search what, what the lyric, you know, what the artist was writing about, you know, that's how I feel Mm -hmm. like I can connect to it. And it's not like I, because I feel like I have to, I just, I enjoy like, wow, this music is really speaking to me. So I want to know what it was written for or why it was written or what it's about. Like, what's the story? So even though that is you know can it's similar to what we as music therapists can do for our clients sometimes like it's just now something I enjoy doing you know Mm -hmm, and like that's mm -hmm. just how that's what my relationship with music looks like now I don't 
My yeah. my guitar, you know, I have my work guitar and I have my home guitar. And my home <laughs> guitar sits in the closet most of the time. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it's okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, and rem- yeah, trying to remind myself totally that that's okay. okay. Right. I know. And that goes back to that piece of not comparing um, right. to other people. You know, there are mm-hmm. music therapists that are far more musical than I am and so much more connected to music than I am, but I'm still a music therapist and I still use music in my job every day. Um, so it's, it's really cool to, uh, recognize and celebrate those differences and how we come to music and, um, really like how that informs our care too, because we are whole people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tara, thank you so much for this conversation today. I'm really excited for everyone to listen to it. And um, where, if people want to connect with you and chat with you, where can people find you? Um, well, like, I guess you online. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, thank you for having me. This was so fun. I'm, I love yeah. being able to talk about these kind of things. Um, I guess you can definitely find me on Instagram. Um, my handle is Tara O'Brien, half of my last name, because there are so many Tara O'Briens in the world. So T A R A O B R I. You can find me on there, and I'd love to connect. Awesome. Love to hear your thoughts. That'd be great. Ah, oh, sweet. All awesome. right. Well, thanks everyone for joining another conversation, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>